What happens often is that we hire someone and we say, oh, I think they're going to be amazing. And six months later, we say, man, where's that person I hired? I thought I was getting this and I wasn't. I got something completely different. And then we start to blame them. Oh, well, they just fooled me in the interview. They just uh, now showed up differently because the, the real work starts. Or they weren't able to sustain the kind of performance that I wanted. It's their fault. It's a them thing. It's a them problem. It's not a them problem. It's a process problem. It's a hiring problem. It's a leadership problem. Hi, and you just entered the Leadership Gym. I'm Randy Hall. I'm an executive coach and leadership consultant. And this is the place where we work on our ability to lead our team, lead our business, and yes, lead ourselves. If you are looking to improve your capabilities as a leader, you are in the right spot. What if I told you that most of the feedback delivered by managers not only did not achieve its goal of helping someone else get better at doing their job, it actually more often disengaged that person and made them less effective at their job. Well, the truth is that the way many managers deliver feedback does exactly that. It hurts engagement, it erodes trust, and it doesn't help performance. But I created a short video that can help you or any manager on your team deliver more effective feedback. And you can watch it at leadershipgym.com forward slash feedback. Stop wasting time in your business with feedback that does more damage than good. Have the managers in your business go to leadershipgym.com forward slash feedback right now and begin to deliver feedback that makes their team better. That's its goal. Let's make sure that that actually happens. So in this episode, we're going to talk about finding the best right talent for your business or your team. Anyone who's ever led a team or a business knows that the people you hire will make or break that business. They will determine everything. And I mean everything about what you do and how well you do it. Everything you do will be better or worse depending on the people that you choose to put on your team. The people that your organization selects to marry, to build a relationship with, to start a partnership with. Everything that you do, customer service will be different. Your growth patterns will be different. The progress you make as an organization will be different. Your culture will be different. Your profit will be different. Your expense control will be different. And if you're leading a team of people that are responsible for delivering on a set of results, your stress level will be affected as well as your time, your amount of effort, and even your happiness with your work. All of these things depend on who you hire, who you bring into your organization. I've worked with a lot of managers that as I ask them what keeps you up at night or what causes your most stress or what do you like least about your job, it is what they sometimes term the people problems. And the reality is that we hired the people problems, we coached the people problems, we onboarded, we trained, we led, we supported, we worked with. We are ultimately responsible for 
the people problems in our organization. And that's our job as a leader is to, yes, bring the right people in and then coach them effectively, lead them effectively, develop them effectively. So we did this to ourselves in many cases. It is completely under our control. And yet we continue to struggle with it as as managers and leaders. We spend most of our time as managers and leaders with poorest performers, with our poorest performers. Many times in, in workshops, as I'm doing this, I'm working with leaders, we'll draw one of my favorite little charts to draw on the flip chart, and it's the picture of the bell curve. And I'll ask groups of people, where do you spend most of your time? At this end of the bell curve, pointing to the lowest end, or at this end of the bell curve, pointing to the highest end. And almost every single time, actually, I believe every single time, I just don't want to say it without being certain, so I'll say almost every single time, People have pointed to that lower end and said, that's where I spend my time. I spend my time with the performers that are not doing a great job. The people that aren't moving us forward, helping us grow, causing our team to be more successful, building the kind of culture or being part of building the kind of culture that we really want in this business or on this team. Now, no one would do that on purpose. No one would hire people that suck up their time and then perform poorly. Where's that in any job description? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to waste my time and do a bad job. We'd never write that down. We'd never do it intentionally. And yet, so many managers find themselves trapped right there. And yes, we have to learn to coach better. We have to learn to lead better. We have to learn to train better. We have to build a different culture. We have to engage our people well. Leaders have to do a lot of stuff. But it starts with bringing the right people into the business. And sometimes managers will get in trouble here by blaming the people that they hired, they coached, they led, which is an immediate turn down the very wrong road. Because if it is that person's fault, how do we correct it? What do we do differently? How do we hire better? How do we teach differently? If they are the reason we are not successful, then we're in trouble as a leader because now we don't control our success. But if our hiring process is the reason we are in trouble or the reason we're spending way too much time with poor performers, then we have an opportunity to change it. And that's our discussion for today too, is what are the hiring steps that we can use to build a process that works consistently for us to create a set of tools and resources and actions that get us better people consistently. Now let's be clear, no one is ever going to be perfect at this. Find anyone who's hired lots of people and has a great track record, you will still find poor hires. Everyone has made them, I've made them, other leaders have made them, anyone who's done a lot of hiring has made bad hires. It's just part of the game. We're not going to get 100% correct at this. A lot of the research also says that most managers are only about 40 or 50% good at this. I was reading a survey not too long ago that said, if you had the chance, would you hire this person again six months after you did? And only about half the time. Did managers say, yes, they met my expectations. They met or exceeded my expectations for what I thought good would be in this role six months in. What happens often 
is that we hire someone and we say, oh, I think they're going to be amazing. And six months later, we say, man, where's that person I hired? I thought I was getting this and I wasn't. I got something completely different. And then we start to blame them. Oh, well, they just fooled me in the interview. They just uh, now showed up differently because the, the real work starts. Or they weren't able to sustain the kind of performance that I wanted. It's their fault. It's a them thing. It's a them problem. It's not a them problem. It's a process problem. It's a hiring problem. It's a leadership problem. Because we have to get better at it. we got to get up into the 80% range, which is, by the way, about as good as we ever get. But that's okay. If we hire 80% of the time people who are great fit superstars for our business that help us create the kind of world we want to work in and perform at the level that we're satisfied with and even astonished with at times then we're doing a really, really good job as a leader. But at 40 or 50%, we're not. And so let's move the needle. Let's talk about a process that gets us there. So one of the first things that we wanna be able to do is create for ourselves something I call a success profile. Now, we often build for roles that we have something called a job description. In most businesses, you'll find that or some version of that. Usually, it hasn't been updated for a while and nobody really thought about it all that much. We just wrote some tasks down. Or if we're in a big organization, we've got an HR department, they've provided us with one that, again, captures the tasks they need to do. But this is not about capturing their duties in terms of the actions they need to take or the tasks or work that they need to do. A success profile is so much more than that. A success profile doesn't talk about what we want them to do. It talks about who we want them to be. And you can combine them, put the stuff we want them to do in there, but let's not leave out who we want them to be, how we want them to show up. The kind of person that if we said, hey, someone in this role would be amazing if they did these things, acted this way, thought this way, attacked problems this way, had an attitude that looked like this. That's the description we want. And the reason we want to start with that is because it is the foundation for everything we do in the hiring process. If we start with a list of tasks, what we will then do is go hire people that have experience in that set of tasks. That is such a small piece of doing the job. Yes, they have to be able to execute those tasks, but that is one tiny little bit of all the things we expect from someone on our team. So let's not go higher for the percentage of things that is smallest in some cases, and more importantly, are things we can teach. When I, when I go into companies and I work with them and I say, hey, what are the things that you teach people how to do really well here? Well, we teach them our processes. We teach them how to sell our stuff. We teach them about our products. We teach them about this department and how we need them to work. We can teach all that stuff. But when I ask them, hey, how do you teach somebody to have a better attitude? How do you teach somebody to have a different work ethic? How do you teach somebody to show up for work more prepared and more effective? How do you teach somebody to care about a customer at a higher level? We don't do any of that well. And so let's not hire people for the things that we can teach Let's hire people for the things that they bring to our department, our organization, our business 
that we can't teach and that we need them to have with them. I can teach them how to do our work. I can't teach them how to be the kind of person that's going to make us better as a business. That I want to hire for. But we don't look at that on a resume. It doesn't show up there most of the time. We don't ask those kinds of questions to explore that very well at all in most interviews. We go hire people to do the things the last person did or what we see as the tasks of the job, which are the things we can most help them achieve greatness in because we know more about it than they do. So let's not hire people for those things. I'm not suggesting it can't be part of the process. I'm not suggesting that some competency with the skills that we need isn't also important. I am suggesting that if that's all we look at, we're going to have more bad hires than good hires because lots of people can do those things. Not all of them, not most of them can do them at the level we want with the right approach that we want and be the person we want. That's a bigger ask. And that's what we've got to explore. Okay, so let's build this success profile. Go write down everything that you think someone should be, how they should think, how they should show up, the level of engagement they should have, how they should work with their team, how they should communicate, how they should be an example for others, how they should prepare for their day, how they should feel at the end of the day, how they should affect people around them. Go ask yourself as many questions as you can that start to craft a picture for you of the phenomenal employee at this description. That's who we want to compare our interviewees, the people we're considering, our job candidates too. A phenomenal employee at this position. A lot of times what we end up doing is comparing candidates to a vacancy. <laughs> well, everybody looks pretty good compared to a vacancy. We think, wow, there's nobody in that job. I got to go get somebody that can do those things quickly. I'm comparing them to no one doing those things. It's easy to excel when that's your measuring stick. No, I want to measure my people against the best possible candidate I could have and select them that way. Will I still find flaws? Are there still things people need to work on? Of course, always, every single time. That's where our coaching, that's where our leadership ability, that's where our training comes into play. But let's not pretend that we want to consciously choose the longest race for us to run. Let's go hire a bad starting point, a resource that isn't great, and then do all of the work associated with trying to make it great. Or worse, do all of the work associated with removing a bad hire from our team. And then we're just back to the vacancy that we started with because that's what we compared them to. So we got a warm body. We got people that could fog a mirror or show up, maybe. But we didn't get exceptional candidates for this job. And that's what we want. We didn't get an exceptional hire. We want someone that raises the bar and makes us better because they showed up, not did the bare minimum. So start with that success profile and use it as a foundation for everything that you do. The next thing that you want to do is build an ad that casts the widest net possible. I want everyone who reads my ad to decide that it is their life's mission to come work there. And that does not mean lie. If we're not that business today where everybody wants to work, we can at least describe where we want to go, where we're headed, the kind of business we want to become, and then ask for help getting there. Hire people that can help get us there. 
We don't have to say, hey, this place is Disneyland to work. We don't have to make up some story about our business. We do have to talk about who we want to be, how we want to serve our customers, the kind of reputation we want to have in the marketplace, the way we want people to, who do business with us to feel about who we are and how we work with them and the partnership we create. We can do that. And so we can talk aspirationally about who we want to become and also using those words have people connect to that because that's the kind of team they want to work on. That's the kind of place they want to be. That's the kind of place they want to help create. That's what inspires people. Not that you're already there all the time and so come be part of something that's already perfect. Come be part of helping us build something that's more perfect. That's also what we want to do. And sometimes that's even more inspirational. So make sure that your ad does that. Now, sometimes people screen with their ad. They will say, no, I want to write an ad that says, must be dependable, must be accountable, must show up on time, must be better than the last person we hired because we had to fire them, which is kind of what it says. And you know what people think when they read that? Why do I want to go work there? It's full of a whole lot of things that people must do, clearly because they've struggled to create an environment where people do that, clearly because they've built an organization that isn't performing or even heading in the direction that they want it to. And the best employees get to pick the best places to work, the people we actually want to capture in our recruiting net somehow are people that have choices. They can get hired anywhere. They show up in a way that people just fall all over so they can get them on their team. They actually create this dynamic where we try to sell them on coming to work for us because they're that good. They get a choice in where they work and so they don't pick the ad that says must do this, must do this, must do this. That sounds more like prison than it does a great place to work. So I don't want to write an ad like that. And I also don't want to screen with my ad. That's lazy for us as leaders. We want to screen with our process. We want to cast as wide a net as we possibly can with our ad in the hopes that we've got a few people in there that are incredible, that are amazing for us. Now, immediately what people do is they say, well, I don't want all those applicants because then I, as the manager, have to spend all this time reading all those resumes and going through that. But that's flawed thinking for a lot of us because no, we don't. We simply build a process that does screen after an amazing ad. And the process we want to use that does screen after an amazing ad are some early hiring questions, some screening questions. And we can send these out in an email. Hey, thanks for applying for our ad. We're excited about you wanting to be part of our business. We'd like to learn a little more about you. Here's three questions I would love for you to answer for us. Now, candidly, we want to come up with good questions there, but honestly, it doesn't matter a lot. We can ask questions like, what kind of team do you want to be part of? We can ask questions like, hey, talk to me about your best day at work. We can ask questions like, hey, tell me about a time you've contributed to a team and made them better. They will give the recruit, the candidate, a, a sense of who we are and what we care about. So we want our questions to do that. But here's the magic in screening questions. Half your people won't even bother to answer them. Great, they saved us time. 
another big chunk of people that get those questions will answer them so poorly that you can screen them out immediately. They will use bad grammar or they will use bad punctuation or they will clearly not proofread or they will do things that give you clues about their diligence, about their effort, about the time they're willing to put in, about their work ethic. And then another chunk will answer with things that we immediately can see is not a fit with our business or where we want to go. We can immediately see that they're not the kind of person. And so we get to rule those out too. In a matter of seconds, looking at screening questions, we can decide whether these people move further in the process. And so we take our 100 candidates or 1,000 candidates, whatever they are, and we're down to maybe 15 or 20% of those that we actually have to look at the resume. Now, don't make the mistake of going through all the resumes anyway. That's foolish. Now we're wasting time reading about the skills and history of people we don't care to hire because they either didn't send back the questions or they won't send back the questions or they didn't answer them in a way that make them a fit for our business. They don't connect with that success profile we built. So don't worry about casting a wide net. Just have a better process for screening after you do. So we have the screening questions and then we build our interview questions with the tools, the resources, the foundation that we created in our success profile. We build those questions. If I said I need somebody that shows up with a great attitude, which is often part of who we want as an employee, great, now I'm gonna ask questions that explore their attitude. And I'm gonna use questions like, hey, tell me about a time you've made people around you better because of the way you showed up. Tell me how you approach challenges in your business. Tell me how you've approached things that have been setbacks for you. Tell me how you've worked with team members that didn't perform at your level and how you handled that. We are going to create questions that give us a bit of a view into those things that we care about because of the success profile. We're going to be really diligent about this so that we get to explore this person's past behaviors in these areas. And we're going to ask these questions at a level of depth that aren't easily made up or prepared. I'm going to dig in in a way that gets this candidate to tell me a story, not give me an answer. Tell me a story about a time so that I can look at it and evaluate it relative to fit. I don't really care necessarily what they've done before in terms of skills as much as I care about their habits and patterns as a human. I can read their experience on their resume. I don't want to waste time in an interview reviewing that. I want to learn about the human I'm getting ready to make part of my team. So that's why I'm using these questions. And then I'm going to build a score sheet with these outcomes. I'm not going to hire based on my gut. Here's the thing to know. Your gut doesn't exist. Your gut has no consciousness. Your gut has no real understanding of what the future will hold, despite the fact that the way we connect patterns in our brain does. We think it does. We think it can predict the future based on the past. And what happens is we get a bias associated with that. If we had someone who was a great employee in the past and they behaved a certain way, if this person comes in and sort of reminds us of them or acts in some of those ways or is bubbly or outgoing or some of the things we might have connected with that other human, we're going to see them as a good candidate. That's what our gut does, even though our brain really does it. 
if we had someone in the past who was a little bit timid or shy or answered questions in a in a maybe less complete way, we might connect that with someone who was a poor performer in the past. We will automatically say, oh, all these same traits belong to this person. We're lying to ourselves. They could be exactly who we need in this role. But we're going to make those associations in their completeness. We're going to understand in our mind or have a bias in our mind that says, if you're a little bit like this other person, you're exactly like this other person. That's what our gut does. It connects to patterns we have in the past. And that doesn't mean it doesn't help us in some occasions on some occasions, it is lousy at helping us pick the right person. So we interview using scoring sheets and we do one other thing that helps us here. We interview in teams. We have as many people as possible look at this candidate. We take the team that they're gonna be part of and we use those people to interview. Now we teach them how to do this well. We teach them how to ask the right questions. We teach them to review this success profile, maybe even contribute to it. We teach them to get this person to tell us deep, detailed, real stories about their past behaviors so we can make assessments as to whether or not they fit, but we involve them. And sometimes this means this candidate has to go through two or three or four hours of interviews, sometimes more than that. I've interviewed for jobs in corporate America where I've been through seven or eight hours of interviews with lots of different people. They do it because it works. So finding a process that gets us a smaller margin of error because we involve more people, because we have score sheets that they turn in, and we score each question. One being you know, not in line with our success profile, and five being completely aligned with our success profile. Not my gut, not what I think, not how I anecdotally see this person, but our success profile. That's why we build it in the first place. So make sure that we use a team of people to help us here. And the fact of the matter is that if I helped hire someone, I'm actually more invested in their success. That team helps them become more successful after the hiring process, rather than in some cases dealing with someone management gave us that we're not sure if they're going to make it or not. And we'll just watch them sort of experience this baptism by fire because that's how I had to do it. And we'll see if they make it. We won't support them as they make it nearly as well as we could. But if I'm part of the hiring process and I, and I actually helped this person help decide on this person being part of the team, help this person become part of the team, I'm invested at a very different level. And I now want to help my choice turn out to be the right one. And so it does that too for the team that they're going to be part of. So make sure that you don't just... Use your gut, your intuition, your experience, your any of those things that we think we have to miraculously predict how these people are going to perform. We might get that right sometimes. We're going to get it wrong just as often. Let's build a process for our business that we and all of our managers can use to do this effectively, consistently, comprehensively in a way that creates the right raw materials, the right talent, the right people for the future of our business. Because everything depends on that. And if we get that wrong, we simply have too heavy of a lift now as leaders and coaches and mentors and trainers. We've asked ourselves to do far more work at a much higher level than maybe we're prepared for or want to spend our time on. Let's spend our time on helping people that could be great and aren't yet get there. 
not people that are really struggling, work their way up to mediocre. That's not how great leaders spend their time. And if we find ourselves spending all of our time there, we're missing the opportunity to go build a better future by working with people that can help us make that happen for our businesses, for our customers, for our partnership, for our success. So build a process that does this well. Use the tools we've talked about here to make that happen and go make a difference.